devotional thought, so to speak, in our text through the Gospel of Mark, uh, as opposed to the verse-by-verse exegetical study that we've been doing. And part of it's actually good, because the Gospel of Mark is like this punch after punch after punch after punch. Um, I was just having lunch, actually, with some area pastors, lead pastors here in the Gresham area, and one of them who is just... um, his personality is just like right, wrong, yes, no, black, white, like, uh, uh, uh. he's like, the gospel of Mark's my favorite. And, uh, and I'm like, that's why the gospel of Mark has not been my favorite, right? Because if you know my personality, I'm more like, let's, let's study John. He's, he's soft, he's, he's laid back, he's nice, right? He's kind, he's a little bit more gentle in what he's doing. And so we've been laughing. Even the staff has said, Tom, are you going to lighten up at all? And I'm like, has Mark? No, no. And so it's been punch after punch after punch. Well, we finally get this little bit of a moment where it's like, take a breath. If you remember from the beginning of chapter seven, Jesus has been trying to get away. He's been trying to go rest. He's been trying to refuel. He's been trying to just get away from the crowd so that he could have just a little bit of rest and refreshment and all of that. And, and man, I, I kind of feel like Jesus like that this week. This week has just been crazy, right? We've got some missionaries coming into town. We've got all sorts of things. Uh, Sarah and I are trying to get ready to go on vacation next week. And it's as if whenever we try to go on vacation, everything happens. All right, anybody else ever experienced that? And so this week was just one of those crazy weeks. We had like 12 benevolence requests where people were coming in asking for assistance. And these are, these are like dire people situations. And, and so one thing after another thing after another thing after another thing. And I'm like, I kind of feel like what Jesus feels a little bit. He just wants to get away. I'm like, one week, one week, and I'm out of town. I'll accidentally drop my phone in the river, Right? <laughs> And nobody will be able to find me. Anyway, here, here's what I know. At the end of chapter 7, there's two miracles. And these two miracles, although they seem like, like really insignificant miracles, there's a lot of significance. They're not just miracles about healings. These are political incidents. They're massive and they communicate a big message. We shouldn't be surprised by that. Mark packs so much into this short little period of time. And so last Sunday we, we looked. We looked at the beginning of chapter 7, what it meant to be clean and what it meant to be unclean. How many of you remember that from last week? All right, and so here we are. Mark is going to tell us from Peter's perspective what happened next. What happened next undermines this protective boundary, this protective fence of the us and the them and the, and the Gentiles and the Jews, and, and it, it creates a boundary with the rules, the regulations, the laws, and, and it was trying to, they were trying to protect their own identity, but what Jesus does is he finally is able to escape, and he escapes into a Gentile town. So he's going to think, he's like, I can't even be where the Jews are. I've got to go to a Gentile town to try to find rest. And so look with me at Mark chapter 7, verse 24. It says this, And from there he arose, and he went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house, and he did not want anyone to know. Right? Finally, sneaking through the backwoods into the house, I can finally catch a break. What's the next part of the verse say? Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman, dun, 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 
Like, even before we get to the word Gentile, a woman, right? What was the perspective of first century women? Not favorable. Not favorable, right? And then, and then we get some more information. A Syrophoenician by birth, another dig, right? And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, what does that mean? Like, like what in the world does that, what is Jesus saying? In verse 28 says, but she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, for this statement, because of your faith like we've seen in the gospel of mark you may go your way the demon has left your daughter and she went home and she found the child lying in bed and the demon was gone right i mean this is this is huge there's something really interesting and since i'm trying to shorten some things up i wish we could break this down because there's so much packed into it but let me just tell you this Jesus was incredibly conscious about where he went and what he was doing and how he was going to fulfill his ministry. His primary mission was to the Jews. And we need to just understand that, trying to help them. He wanted them to understand. He wanted them to believe in him. He wanted them to fully embrace him as their Messiah, right? And, and this is what he was doing. This is what his ministry was. It was known that if Israel could be redeemed... If the, if, the, if the Messiah could save them, then, then the rest of the world would be saved through the nation Israel, and they would all find God. It was known that eventually the Gentiles would be brought in, that at some point all of the outsiders would be brought in to the saving grace of God too. For, for the moment, it was important, important though for Jesus not to be distracted from his mission. If he could just get the Jews to believe, right? And so there continues to be plenty of confusion about Jesus and who he's supposed to be. The Messiah who had his foot on the neck of the enemy, right? They're looking for this warrior Jesus and they're looking for him to become a nation leader, a national leader who is going to help everybody be set free. And so Jesus is cautious with his miracles. He doesn't want to send the wrong message. Because at this point, some people assume that Jesus is just this really good medical missionary. That he's just going from town to town healing people who have been sick their entire lives. And so people are getting this impression that that's all he is. And Jesus is trying to get us to understand that he is more than just a medical missionary. Jesus is trying to get us to understand that he is inaugurating the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. Like that is his mission. Let's not forget that from Mark chapter 1 that his goal was to preach the gospel, to preach the kingdom being ushered in on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus wasn't just here to help everyone, which sounds weird, doesn't it? But Jesus wasn't here just to be helpful to everyone. Jesus was specific and at a time very controversial about the ministry he was involved in. Remember, the Jews have now come up again from the south. They, have, they, they are interceding because the little peon Jews, the religious leaders, can't handle it. And so they've sent the big dogs up to deal with Jesus because this thing has to be stopped. Jesus has to be stopped. The mission has to be stopped. There are plots already developing about how to kill him. 
And so Jesus is not and will not be distracted from his ministry and mission that will ultimately lead him to the cross. What Jesus did, what Jesus did with this demon-possessed daughter was clear evidence of everything he had just taught in the beginning of chapter 7. What was it? The miracle reveals that Jesus meant what he said about clean and unclean. He was serious about it. He was saying, listen, the things that are inside don't defile you. It's the things that come out of you that defile you. What Jesus was saying is that the old barriers, the old laws, the old taboos, the old traditions, all of these old things were being swept away, and the dogs under the table were already sharing the children's food. So instead of looking at that as a negative, the conversation is, listen, the Gentiles are already receiving some of the blessings that are coming through Jesus. Right? The dogs are already chewing some of the food that belong to the children sitting at the table. And in a matter of time, don't miss this, in a matter of time the dogs would cease being dogs and the dogs would eventually become kingdom participants. They would become a part of the kingdom of God. Because who are the dogs? They're the Gentiles. They're the outcasts. They're the people with sickness and ailments, the people who aren't allowed to be in, who couldn't go worship God in the temple. And, and even right here, what's happening, in a matter of time, the dogs would cease being dogs and they become children just like the other children. And Jesus is showing his disciples, listen, I am truly the Savior of the world, the whole world. And Jesus was trying to keep all of this secret. All of this slowed down. All of this, the news kept leaking out. People everywhere he went. He hides in a house. Somebody comes knocking. I need help. I need help. People couldn't stop talking about Jesus. People couldn't stop talking about what he was doing, where he was going, what he was accomplishing. And so why is Jesus, why does he keep telling people not to talk? Let's look at the next section, verse 31. It says this. And then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon. To the Sea of Galilee, the region of the Decapolis. This is really interesting because the last time we read about the region of the Decapolis, who was there? Early in the morning, they get off the boat and they go through a graveyard and they meet a man who's demon-possessed with a legion of demons, right? Do you remember this? And they were afraid of him. He cast these demons out of him and the demons do what? They went into a bunch of pigs over the edge. Remember this? A couple weeks ago, all right, a couple months ago, but you get it. And, and so here, here they are, they're back. The region that they were told to leave, they're back. Notice that the first miracle is what? In Gentile land. Where's this miracle taking place? In Gentile land. And so they brought, him, they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. D hear that. They asked him to do what? Lay his hand on him. Just hold that in your mind for just a second, all right? And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he didn't put his hands on him. He put his fingers in his ears. You with me? Like, these are those moments in Scripture I'm like, what is Jesus doing like, like you get a demon-possessed girl, he doesn't even have to go over to her house to cast the demon out. He's, he's I don't know, there, there's distance between them. But then he gets a deaf and mute man. He could just say, hear and talk, right? Instead, Jesus takes his fingers, 
into his ears. Can I, is everybody picturing this with me? Because these are just some of those odd moments that I'm like, what is going on? They're like, Jesus, we just asked you to lay hands on him. We didn't ask you to stick your fingers in his ears. All right, enough of that. It gets weirder. After spitting, touched his tongue. Ooh, that's all I can say. I read several translations, and this is what it appears to be. Jesus takes his fingers, puts them in his ear, and touches the guy's tongue. Anybody else? This, this is what Jesus does. And looking up to heaven, he sighs. And just says, be opened. Be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And if you knew anything about Isaiah, you would know that that's exactly what the Messiah was going to do. You knew it. And so I read this miracle, I read these few verses, and I suddenly realize that there's so many secrets involved. What do I mean by secrets? Well, the man himself is deaf. He can hardly speak. But then he speaks plainly and openly. From silence to speech in one quick move, really, Jesus then tells the people, keep it a secret. Don't say anything. Pretend you didn't hear it. Pretend you didn't see it. Just don't tell anybody. And so we get secrets and speech and secrets and speech. Why? Because what Jesus continues to do continues to raise concerns. Jesus at this point is dangerous. He is suspicious, and the religious leaders and the experts are angry at Jesus, and they want to do nothing else but to to take him out, to take him down. And so what Jesus is doing, it's getting out, and the religious leaders are hearing about what he's doing, and the, the political leaders are learning about what Jesus is doing. And maybe Jesus was hoping for just a little bit more time. Maybe he was hoping just for a little bit more time where he could go to some more village, where he could preach the gospel even some more. Maybe Jesus just wanted to travel around some more to get the gospel spread or maybe Jesus was just saying stop I need some rest everywhere I go everywhere I turn around everywhere everywhere I try to hide there's somebody who needs something right and he's just saying I need to refuel I need to rest I need I need to find energy again he's trying to escape the crowds only to find crowds waiting for him even even showing up to Decapolis the area where they told him get in the boat get away from here we don't want to see you we don't want to be with you there's a man they're waiting for Jesus to come back and heal this man and Jesus went to Gentile town after Gentile town trying to stay low and guess what The Gentiles, the outcast, the dogs, they kept coming. Jesus knew if he kept doing these miracles, the authorities would continue to hunt him and haunt him and try to stop him. But there's a lesson here for us. Because Jesus' kingdom work can't be stopped. It just can't be. He couldn't get people to stop talking about it. 
So what does this miracle reveal? This miracle reveals that Jesus' love is breaking into a broken and painful present world. And it hasn't stopped. His love continues to break in to what is broken, to break into what is painful, to break into what is broken and, and disorganized and chaotic. And, and his love can change all sorts of things. This miracle continues to point us to the great healing that will occur when the secret is fully out, when Jesus is finally revealed to the whole world, when every tongue and every nation and every tribe and every people will bow down and worship him. And in both of these miracles, Mark has shown us that to follow Jesus, because he's this Mark's dealing directly with the disciples, to follow Jesus doesn't mean, doesn't lead to a boring life. Following Jesus doesn't lead to a boring life of conventional religion and conventional rules and conventional regulations and and, and all the all the Stay away from that and stay away from this. Jesus' followers should make people astonished by what is said and done. That, that's the message. Following Jesus, you and me, disciples, followers of Jesus, Christians, we should be doing things and we should be saying things that make our neighbors step back and go, And unfortunately, we've lived, we've lived many years where our neighbors look at us, and even if they know a little bit about Christianity, they, they scratch their head, and they are astonished, but it's not a great astonishment. They're like, I, I, I can't believe they're doing that. I thought they were, I thought they were Christians. We do things, and we say things, and the world who even if they understand a little bit about Jesus, they just don't understand. And so my question is, why Why are we not? Like in here, right here where we're seeing Jesus, he's going from place to place, even with the outcasts and, and the losers of society, right? He's, he's with them, and, and crowds, people are astonished at who Jesus is. And following Jesus means that we're saying things, we're doing things, we're saying things and doing things that, that our neighbors and our co-workers and our family and our friends who don't know and love Jesus are looking and saying, wow, that's amazing what you're doing. Just like Jesus, he intently focused on his mission and on his ministry. And we too should be driven and focused to spread this healing message of the gospel as widely as possible, even to the people who aren't like me. I think it's so easy. It's so easy for us to neglect being the people God called us to be to the very people that he strategically placed in our world. My neighbors, my friends, the, the kids who play sports with my kids and their families, they should be astonished by some of the things that we do and some of the things we say because it just doesn't match with the cultural expectation. This isn't a new concept, church. It really isn't. If you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 12, there's this moment, a guy named Abram. Do you remember Abram? 
You know, God shows up and says, hey, I'm going to move you to a new land. I'm going to make you great, and I'm going to give you a nation, this whole conversation, right? And I always get to chapter 12 of Genesis, and I think, I, I just would love to one day go home and tell my Sarah, hey, uh, God spoke to me today, and he says we need to pack up and move. And I know her first question would probably be, where are we moving to? Right? And the answer is, I don't know. God hasn't told me that part yet. How many of you would that go okay in your home? Like, I'm just curious. Like, Dave, if you went home and told Julie, God spoke to me today and we're just going to move, how would that go? Not well. Not well. And most of us, it wouldn't go well. This is what happens to Abram. Right? God says, hey, I want you to pack up. Actually, I don't want you to take a lot. Just pack up and I'm going to lead you to where you're supposed to go. Just follow me and I'll get you there. And uh, we're going to create a a new thing. This is what Genesis 12, verse 1, 2, and 3 says. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is what he says. And I will make you a great nation. And most of the time, right there, that's where we stop. That's where we focus. That's what we look at, right? Oh, great nation, and all the talk about Israel. But that's not the point of this passage. It's the next part of this verse that says, And I will bless you. I will bless you. God says to Abraham, go, pack up, move. I'm going to make you a nation. And the emphasis, I will bless you. And your name's going to become great because I'm going to bless you. Here it is. So that, so that you will be a blessing. Did you hear that? This isn't a new concept. For Jesus, he's telling people who should already know. He's telling his disciples, you are going to be blessed. I'm going to heal you. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you comfort. I'm going to give you a helper named the Holy Spirit. I'm going to do, you will be blessed when you follow me, when you accept my sacrifice for the forgiveness of your sins. You are going to be blessed to sit on it. No. To hide it. No. So that you will be a blessing so that you, so that I will be a blessing. If you are a Christian here today, if you are following Jesus, if you declare that you love him and you have surrendered your life to him, then it is, it is your responsibility, it is my responsibility to be a blessing to others. It's our responsibility to be a blessing to the people who don't think like we think to the people who don't look like we look. To be a blessing to the people who live lives totally opposite from the way that I live my life. How do we do this? For me, for the last couple of years, I intentionally drive up and down my street when I'm coming home or leaving, and sometimes I go opposite directions, and I've I've just... There's four or five, there's five families that I just um, specifically pray for. I turn left, and the first house on the right. A man and his wife, special needs child, and an older daughter, lots of, lots of, lots of crazy stuff. 
And I just pray for him every time I pull into my street. If I go the other direction, there's a family on the right, actually two families on the right, that I, that I just pray for. And then I make sure that when I get in my driveway, I either pray for my neighbor on my left or I pray for the neighbor on my right. But I'm not just praying for them. Because you know what the tendency is? The tendency is, God, would you just bless them? No, the prayer is this. God, would you give me an opportunity to be a blessing? Listen, my neighbors, they're crazy. Some of them are crazy. Especially the Christian who lives across the street who goes to church with us here, okay? She was in first service, so I already... My prayer is, God, help me say things and help me do things that would make my neighbors just astonished. God, give me an opportunity to be a blessing. Sometimes the blessing isn't so much doing something or saying something. Sometimes the blessing is just listening. Last summer, we're on a walk, a family walk, and one of those neighbors that I pray for often says, hey, do you have a few minutes? Yes, so we sit there and we chit-chat, and man, in a matter of a few minutes, he poured out so much about his life. Some of the struggles, some of the hardships, some of the sadness, some of the difficulties. And you know what I did? I just listened. I just listened. When he asked questions, I said, man, I'm so sorry. Man, that's not right. I'd throw in. I mean, he knows I'm a pastor. So I'd throw in, man, that's not how God made the world. That's not how it was supposed to be. And I just tried to be a blessing. My neighbors who don't go to church anywhere, I don't, know, I don't even know what some of them think about Jesus, right? All of them, when, when last March we got instructions in April to shut everything down, oh man, I had allies, right? They're, they're, they're talking to me out in the yard. That's just not right. I can't believe the churches are not, you know. Da, da, da. And, and, and I'm like, hmm, my job is to just be a blessing. 